much love. episode 12 season three of ravage love we're doing pulp this week and i have nothing clever to say about that hi julie <laughs> hi renee how are you all right i uh, finished the handmaid's tale oh the show. tv show finished it. yeah and like it just gets heavier and heavier and then i got to a point where i was like god like somebody like give and let her catch a fucking break and i was like i you know it's it's heavier than game of thrones yeah and i was like how i was like who had the audacity to put a show this heavy on tv like every fucking episode is darker and darker and i know i said last week that serena joy like becomes a better person she doesn't um (laughs) she just doesn't and like it's it's so heavy so i watched the uh, I made it to the fourth season where now they do like a weekly episode and I realized I was like I want how many hours have I put into this show and once I finish season four it'll be 400 hours which is two practicums oh my god (laughs) like because I'm doing I'm doing three practicums right now and that's more than two practicums (laughs) that's so much time and like I just can't understand like the source material the one book is already so dark yeah. Like the idea that it gets darker, I'm just like, nope, I can't. And like, I respect your commitment to the bit, but oof, <sighs> nope, thank you. I'm watching Mayor of East Town, and that's already so yes. intense that I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking on any more weight right now. Thanks. Dirters murder. <laughs> <laughs> if you are watching Mayor of East Town and you have not seen the bit from SNL about murder's murder. You are <laughs> depriving yourself of the greatest gift you will receive in this pandemic because it oh is one of the funniest bits I've ever seen on SNL, but it's also shockingly on point. Oh my God, they're fucking Mary Philly cheesesteaks. I was oh, dead. Oh, his like handlebar mustache, like with the, it just like the whole thing is yeah. cinematic gold. So it's check that out. Also just like watch Mare Town, folks. Cause it's so good. Yeah, it's so I, good. I also am very into hacks right now. You, yeah, you mentioned that. And Oof. I just, I was going to watch it, but then there was a new episode of, of, um, Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I didn't start it. Fair. <laughs> it is so good. Jean Smart, who plays the grandmother in Mayor of Easttown, mm-hmm. is an absolute revelation. Like, truly, within five minutes of episode one, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for this mm-hmm. ride. Like, it's so brilliant. The writing is so good. The acting is so good. And she has, like, such a great mixture of being... She's kind of like a Joan Rivers type, like she. But the premise is that she's been at it for a long time, and she's been in Vegas performing for years and years. And she's kind of just getting a little bit hacky, just repeating the same jokes. She's older. She's about to be replaced by a younger audience. So there's this really great, and then there's like this young journalist who comes to work with her, and there's this like boomer versus Gen and Z kind of conflict. But it could be hacky, but it's not. Like, it's so well done, and she really gives the character enough complexity that you don't feel like, oh, you figured it out within the first five minutes. You know, you're like, oh, I know how this woman right. is. She's just like this rich, gaudy bitch. But anyways, it's really good. I really recommend it. It's 
it's not i mean it's funny as hell but i mean it has a little bit of seriousness to it but like it's not motherfucking offred and her (sighs) one-eyed friend like no it's not that level of of depressing because i just i can't these days yeah i also love seeing um like older women being the main characters of shows like grace and frankie fuck me up i love love grace and frankie Um, hard same hard same i could watch i watch i've watched uh like the first and second season twice i loved it so much so really excited i just find that like older women when they're on tv or in movies they either get like they get a supporting role it's so you know it's so rare to see them in a starring role and i and that and that yeah that they're not the punchline of it because i mean Mm -hmm. again not to get all academic on all y'all but my background is in feminist gerontology and i am Mm -hmm deeply fascinated by the intersections of age and gender and for years when i would lament the ways like the fact that there's no older women in hollywood and i mean i remember tina fey and amy poehler one year when they were hosting the golden globe saying like there's no roles for women over 40 except for meryl streep and it's true and and but then people oftentimes would point to betty white as an example and she was on that like Cleveland something she was on some show or Cougar Town or some sh- anyways there was some show where like she basically being old and sexual was like the punchline and it's like yeah but that's that's not that's not progress do you know what I mean like yeah. and that's what I love 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 about Grace and Frankie is like yeah they have like a sex toy company at one point and they have relationships and they have mm-hmm. you know feelings around aging and like independence and like all this stuff I love it so much and so yeah I agree with you I feel like if it wasn't for Grace and Frankie we wouldn't have hacks and I think that mm-hmm. says a lot also three of the writers from hacks are three of the main writers from Broad City a perfect <gasps> show perfect show I mean, nothing compares. Truly top shelf comedy. Um, mm. I miss Broad City so, oh, so much. I feel like it ended at the right point. Like it made sense for it to end, but still, I'm like, ugh, ugh, I loved yeah. Broad City. So, so that's what I, I'm doing these days. I really liked Broad City, but then when they do the episode where, um, Alana has seasonal depression and she makes the like sushi fridge into um, a giant sad lamp to recharge herself. I was like, I feel this so hard. And yeah, actually I was reading this thing like a couple of years ago about Grace and Frankie where they, they were going to cancel the show, but Miley Cyrus was such a huge fucking fan that she petitioned, petitioned, petitioned and it got kept on the air. Really? Well, I mean, I don't know how true that is, but I, I want it. I want to believe it's true. Miley Cyrus I'm a huge Miley Cyrus fan and I say this completely earnestly. So I want to believe that story is true because I feel like Miley Cyrus, we will look back on time in time and Mm -hmm. ask ourselves, why did we ever doubt this woman's brilliance Um, and her talent? So get it, Miley Cyrus. Also, she's a smoke show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big fan. She also has a metal cover album coming out. Do you know this? I had no idea. Yeah, she's doing an album where she's covering like Billy Idol, Metallica, a whole wow. bunch of them. Ama- yeah, I think like Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah. And she's got pipes. Her oh, godmother is. is Dolly Parton. I mean, come on. Yup. Come yeah. on now. Oh, my God. So, yeah. I have one it. last thing to say about pop culture before we get into it. Um, so, my daughter loves Kesha, my eldest daughter. And she particularly is fond of the song Woman. Oh. Because I'm a motherfucking woman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an anthem. And so 
this week. I don't know why this has been the week she's needed this empowerment. But she's like, can we please listen to woman? Can we please listen to woman? And she's like, it's okay that I say a bad word in the song because it's a song. I'm like, yeah, girl, you do you. And so the song finishes and she's like, oh, mom, play that at my funeral. I was like, <laughs> like um, I mean, I that's my greatest nightmare but i'll keep it in mind like and you know what i just i have this thing where people just always end up telling me the songs they want at their funerals um like it's just i'm the keeper of that knowledge i just i am um elliot's dad wants um there to be big speakers during his funeral procession uh playing another one bites the dust oh okay yeah yeah elliot wants woman um you know what do you want played at your funeral? i mean i think you know that it's a toss-up between b44 get down and yeah. clarence carter's stroken um i'll yeah. take either or both truly fine i was me. thinking i was thinking a little delight but i like these oh delight grooves in the heart i mean excellent choice yeah. those, those would be like sort of the top three although if you're gonna play delight grooves in the heart i would recommend that you play the and yeah <laughs> This is coming. So, uh, listeners, you might think I'm joking, but Renee will back me up. This is a yeah. 100% legitimate, serious commentary. <laughs> there is a mashup of Grooves in the Heart by Delight and Orinoco by Enya. And I'm telling you, it fucking slaps. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Sit away, sit. Oh, it's fucking top shelf. So, yeah, I would say start with that and then get maybe like on the way out when people are like, you know, just really their feelings, play a little stroking by Clarence Carter. Um, that would be fantastic. Also, if my grandmother happens to still be alive, you know, she will sing word for word and that will really yeah. seal the deal for me. So that's mm-hmm. the combination. How about yourself, Renee? What would you like me to play? It, uh, it totally depends on how I die. <laughs> Do I think. Like, I don't, oh, man, I don't know. Like, cause you know, I'm going to have to turn it into some kind of bit. Right? Of course. I mean, and your I actually... hero got herself cremated <laughs> and put in a Prozac pill. So like, yeah. you know, you have <sighs> big shoes to fill. <laughs> I actually haven't even, I haven't even thought about it. Um, I've just been making sure that there's lots of photos of me frowning um, <laughs> so that when I die, that those are the only pictures there. I actually kind of noticed, I was like, am I getting jowls from... <laughs> The frowning, the frowning that I do, because so often people are like, uh, my friend Jessica was like, you don't take enough selfies. And I was like, okay. So I've just been taking these frowny selfies. Actually, somebody, uh, my friend who I outmoved today, her ex-boyfriend at one point was like, hey, can I use this in like a a group, like a group that I'm in on Facebook? And I was like, I don't need to become a meme. Thank you very much. No, I'm so glad he asked. But like, for Christ's sakes, I'm like, no. No, no, there's a no. line that Renee won't cross. If you're going to make her a meme, she has to do it herself. Um, and then she has to sell the NFT and make mills. Oh, I think what I would like to have um, during like my procession is the Charlie Brown Christmas song where it's like, loo, 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 <laughs> like just to fuck everybody up. Because um, <clears throat> when my when my kids like do stuff and they all get all like mopey about it, I always sing that like behind them because um, I think it's funny um it's it's not you know as as like a social worker therapist like that's not the right thing to do when my kids are upset but i can't help it so um i really hope though that like um there's like a powerpoint of all of my frowning pictures with 
Sarah McLaughlin's um, angel playing. Oh, I mean, like, like done. in the fucking um, like um, SPCA. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent, like a dead animal. Yeah. But the dead animal is you. Yeah, hundred percent. But like, just me in all my frowning photos. You can go to my Instagram and, and you can <laughs> see them, because um, I don't take selfies where I smile anymore, unless we're doing it together, baby girl. You know. Ayo! I mean, that is that is what we do when we get together. And in fact, we know how good yeah. of a time we've had by the lack of photos that are taken. Generally. I know. Oh, my gosh. Like the last few times I've seen you, we I remember one of our visits. I realized like the day before you were leaving, I was like, we haven't taken a picture together. And we took one in the, like, the Joe Fresh section of the superstore. I think that's our last selfie. We a hundred percent did. Good call. Yeah, we also yeah. took one in the Isles of the Valley Village because that is truly our home. And yeah. I think I was purposely picking out all of the cowboy attire only because mm. I'm forever amused by how Alberta is truly a cliche. And there yeah. is so much cowboy regalia at a Valley Village yeah. in, in Alberta. It's truly a sight to see. So. Yeah, there's a section at um, my favorite Goodwill just for bolero ties. Oh my god! I own yes. so many bolero ties, oh, so I many, and uh, I'm I'm fine with it. If you wa- if you have bolero ties and you want to send them to me, <laughs> slide into our DMs on Instagram. I will take them. Well, this is actually a perfect transition because the thing I love to shop, earnestly love to shop for the most mm-hmm. at value village and thrift stores is fur and the name of my book this week is mink coat and the entire book revolves around a mink coat (laughs) oh my god i bought a mink stole last year um is that the one you have with the little face still on it yes there's two little faces and their little hands and i like to hold their little hands and just like touch my face with them sometimes when i'm feeling sad they're like it's okay, Renee. It's all right. <laughs> and I just like I'm like thanks, guys. Um, yes, I have a mink stole, and I, I I'm excited that uh, you read this book. I'm so excited. Tell me everything about this mink coat. Okay, well, first we gotta set the scene. So we're choosing okay. Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. this week, and for those of you who are not longtime listeners and who are new to the show, welcome. Renee acquired a giant stack of antique pulp, and by antique pulp we mean barcodes hadn't even been invented yet when you and i were reading our pulp fiction books we have to almost wear like white gloves like we're in the archives because the pages are so delicate and like falling apart so have that context in mind because who i just picked this book so you sent me a stack i just picked this one based solely on the cover so it's Mm -hmm. called mink coat and the tagline is she sold her heart for riches and luxury and i'm like same who this bitch and she's wearing like a beautiful lace like it almost looks like a hijab (laughs) um and pearls and it's you know it's airbrushed because my book is from 1945 so she old as shit but oh my goodness the rabbit hole that i fell down in looking up the author so every week we try to find a little bit of deets on the author this week who did not disappoint so this book was written by a woman named kathleen norris now as you and I have discovered, oftentimes women, you know, people would use like a nom de plume, for example. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if a woman actually wrote this. Oh, she did. Wow. So she's an American novelist and a newspaper columnist who for over 50 years in the U.S. 
was one of the most widely read and highest paid female writers, which is kind of bananas. She wrote 93 novels. And what is fascinating is the historical context of this. So I'm going to I'm sorry, folks. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a feminist lecture. I'm gonna educate folks who are unfamiliar with the first wave of the feminist movement in North America. So Kathleen Norris was born in 1880, and she died in 1966, which is actually quite a long time for a woman of that time. And she used fiction and her newspaper columns, but in particular her novels, as a vehicle to make social commentary. And Ooh. She was part of the suffragist movement. So you would think like, okay, suffragettes fighting for, you know, women to be enfranchised, fighting for women to get the vote. That sounds cool. That sounds feminist. I'm down. Well, what's important to know is there were two very different veins of the first wave of the feminist movement in North America, one of which was lower class, poor factory working women who were fighting for the right to have personhood in part so they could have control over their bodies, their ability to find work that was well-paying, and their ability to plan their families. Then there was another stream of suffragette women who believed that women's roles in society was to be a woman and a mother and a wife always. That your like goal in life was to be a good wife and a good mother. And Kathleen Norris, unfortunately, fell mm. in that camp. So her books were really a vehicle for her to push her deep love of family values. And in (laughs) fact, her first book called Mother, which was a bestseller, was basically thinly veiled anti-birth control commentary. So she was on one hand feminist because she believed women should have the right to vote, but she was feminist in the belief that like her suffragette beliefs was that because it was like mothers, we are the mothers of the nation and mothers are caring and mothers take after children. Therefore mothers should have a say. And, but what's anyways, I just find that shit so fascinating to me because her husband was like her biggest supporter and he was her agent and routinely took care of the children while she was out on book tours and out doing things, which is super progressive. Mm -hmm. But then, she fundamentally did not believe in birth control because she thought a woman's right, a woman's goal in life was to have children and be a wife, which clearly shows that she was elitist as shit and didn't understand, had zero class analysis. Intersectionality was not part of Kathleen Norris' existence. So I was reading all this and I'm like, yeah, you know, that makes sense with like all of the, you know, I have two degrees in women's studies. I'm like, this checks out. Then Renee, I stumbled across this fucking photo of her. Giving the Nazi salute. <gasps> no. Okay, I'm, I'm. You keep talking. I'm gonna Google this bitch. There is a photo of her on Wikipedia that I then triple cross-checked, and there's a lot of controversy around it because there's some debate as to whether or not it was actually a Nazi salute or whether it was just, um, like there was some sort of way in which people were waving back then that if your palm faced a certain way it was mostly about nationalism and not about Nazism and I'm like nationalism is like jargon for being a racist piece of shit so truly all of the worst worst traits of first wave feminism were alive and well in Kathleen Norris because she enjoyed the luxury of having a husband that supported her career 
she enjoyed the luxury of being a best-selling, you know, well-paid writer. And she used that privilege to say women should only get the vote because we are mothers. And if you choose not to be a mother, then you're failing as a woman. And also, I hate Jews, I guess. I don't know. But, I mean, talk about a complicated situation. Was she a eugenicist? Like, was she, did she I think, she, I mean, the vibe Probably. I got is that, yeah, she was very clearly part of that first wave of feminism, um, which, like, again, in North America, in white society, um, white upper class society, because, you know, intersectionality is really important. And yes, many suffragettes were hella racist eugenicists who didn't believe that black people should have rights, let alone be allowed to vote. But it is important to know that that was not all suffragettes. It's very easy to paint them all with the same brush. But poor women understood fundamentally um, <laughs> that if you don't have bodily autonomy, you ain't got shit. Um, and, you know, if you were Irish Catholic and your family didn't believe in birth control and, you know, all of those kinds of things, you'd have 12 kids. I mean, I don't think a woman with 12 kids is 100% on board with the idea that her whole purpose in life is to keep popping out kids because she has 12 of them. She knows it's fucking difficult. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's Kathleen Norris, just to give you that context. And that context is one I think infinitely fascinating. And you know, I always love to give a little feminist history lesson um, or yeah. history, as we say. But it's also important to understand this book. Okay, because it's once you have that context, you're like, ah, shit. Okay, I knew where this was going from the jump. So kind of similar to like if you read The Fountainhead, for example, and you're very clearly realizing that Ayn Rand was just using novels as an excuse to push like objectivism. This is mm -hmm. kind of the same vibe as this is like, oh, you're just trying to make a point, but through literature. So let me tell you a tale about a woman and her love of a mink coat. Her name was Isabel. And she comes from nothing, but she's beautiful and has many, many suitors growing up. And really what she dreams of is leaving her little shit dirt poor town and traveling and being rich. She is the mother of two children and page one. So just to prove your point about eugenesis, 100%. Page one, Renee, literally the first page, she makes a racist comment about how... Mm. Funny it was, but clearly not when her children came out and they were quite dark. Um, and so someone makes a joke about tar brushes. It's bad. Um, she has recently left. So this is Isabel. She's got two kids with this lovely man named Dennis Hardestry. Dennis Hardestry is an engineer who is drafted into the war because right this is written in 45 right so this is in the right. middle of you know the wars are, wars are going husband's lovely dotting husband all about it and he gets drafted into the war she's alone with her two kids she finds her life to be meaningless she doesn't know if he's ever going to come back she meets this older he's 37 they never say how old she is but she's like in her <laughs> 20s um, older bachelor type, kind of a George Clooney before he met Amal type, <laughs> rich, loves to be, you know, single, blah, 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 meets him, leaves her husband while he's at war and marries Avery. And Avery Latimer is a playboy, but he's, I mean, he's nice to her, but he's just a very superficial person. He's too old to be drafted into the war. And he's fine with that. He's like, oh, I make philo philotropic, um, 
donations to veterans. Like that's my contribution. And she kind of is like, yeah, yeah. But in the back of her mind, she's like, is it? Her new husband, like I said, he's 37, too old to be drafted. He's just rich. He's got a yacht. He's got this. And he buys her the mink coat of her dreams. And she is happy for a time. But then very clearly, it's obvious that the whole point of this book is to prove that she made a terrible mistake and that she should not have been selfish and prioritized her own joys. She should instead have stayed with her simple but lovely and kind husband who then comes back from the war to realize his wife left him for someone else and is already married and is so devastated, but agrees to have joint custody, which again, you know, in the 1940s, pretty, pretty progressive. Right. And he like actually wants to see his children as much as possible. So then she starts to miss her kids because she doesn't have them around all the time. Again, Kathleen clearly trying to make a point that like, if your children are not the center of your life, you are doomed to be miserable So she is living with Avery, full of regret, pretending she's not full of regret, constantly trying to deny how miserable she is in her new life because she's bored because she has so much money now that she has a nurse take care of her children when, um, yeah, so she has a kid, like basically she doesn't have her kids around. Her husband's always out like being fancy schmancy businessman. And then she finds out through the grapevine that Dennis has remarried. And now Isabel is, so Dennis is her ex-husband, and Isabel is distraught beyond belief. But again, pretending like, I'm over it, I'm over it, it's fine, I'm over it, I'm over it. But clearly it's not over it. (laughs) And of course, just to lay it on thick, Dennis comes back injured from the war. So he's a war hero, he's injured, a little bit of ableism, like, oh, this poor crippled man and his wife left him. There's just pages and pages and pages of this woman wallowing in shame and regret for having left this man. Then it goes full fucking young and the restless. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Hold it on to my butt. Let's do Okay. This. Like fucking 200 pages. How long is this book? Yeah. Almost 300 pages. So a good 200 pages of just wallowing and wallowing and it just make it like driving home way too much how this woman was being so frivolous and so silly for thinking she could pursue her dreams because obviously she's bound to be miserable and so then out of the blue oh shit her playboy husband dies in a plane crash boom (laughs) so then she's like oh my god oh my god but not sad that he's dead more just like oh fuck what am i gonna do do i have any money do like, where am I going to live? What am I going to do with my life? And then there's more languishing. There's more lamenting. Then (laughs) if it hasn't been made abundantly clear already that she's a terrible mother. Okay. Her (laughs) fucking kid gets off the school bus. I don't know why this is so funny to me, but the visual of it fucking killed me. Her kid gets off the school bus, slips on some mud and just slides under the bus and gets run over. (laughs) that's something my stupid kids would do too fuck but but also kathleen norris literally threw a kid under a bus like (laughs) like to make a point she lit i'm like is this where that that fucking idiom comes from is like kathleen norris being like you want me to make a point i'm gonna throw this kid under the bus so the kid gets crushed by the school bus and who's the only person there to help her (gasps) 
Madge, the new stepmother, because Dennis remarried. So now, not only is Isabel distraught that her child has been crushed by a bus, but she's embarrassed that it was another woman that was there to help her child. So she rushes to her child's bedside. Kid's going to be fine. But she is so like, oh, my God, like, I let this other woman take care of my children. These are my children. Like, just like going on and on. Then she just breaks. She's like, you know, living with her ex, like basically temporarily while she's helping to nurse her kid back to health. She breaks down and tells her ex-husband, I'm still in love with you. I regret leaving you. And he says, I also still will love you. I will always love you for the rest of my life. But uh, you moved on. And so I met someone and I don't love her like I love you, but she's kind and she's sweet to me. And Isabel's like, I'll always love you. And he's like, okay, and hugs her. And then Madge walks in and sees them. Oh, no. So then Isabel rushes up to her and is like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And she's like, well, I guess I should just leave then. I guess I'm just going to leave. And she's like, no, 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 that's your husband. And, I, you know, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have said that to you. I shouldn't have gone between you. Once my daughter's healed up, I'm going to leave. And she's like, no, no, I think you guys are meant to be together. And uh. Isabel says, no, no, think it over. You're just acting rash. It's okay. It's okay. Next day, like I said, full fucking young and the restless. Next day, Madge walks into the fucking parlor and is like, oh, um, so my husband didn't actually die in the war. It turns out that they sent me the wrong paperwork and he's alive and he's actually on his way here. So bye. And he, she just <laughs> conveniently leaves them. Oh and Isabel's like, oh, well, my husband's dead and your wife just left you because her husband wasn't dead. So want to get together? And he's like, okay, the end. What? <laughs> what? Hey, I have a question right off the bat. If her husband, okay, if if the main characters, uh, I'm just going to call her Mink, Mink Cheeks. If Mink Cheeks' original husband just went to war and she left him and she married somebody else, is she a bigamist? Um, I, oh no, no, that that actually comes up. That actually comes up because then the Dennis makes some joke about like, well, I guess, how's that going to work? (laughs) Ha ha ha. In terms of paperwork. And it turns out, and I read up on it and it is actually a thing at the time. This was actually like quite common, um, where people like their husbands were told, they were told their husband was dead. They were told their husband was like a POW indefinitely. And so people would remarry and then the husband would come back and it wasn't legally like you wouldn't be charged with bigamy because it was sort of considered kind of just like a symptom of the times that people were living in and that it wasn't intentional misleading uh, and, you know, marrying twice. So apparently this was a common enough thing, which I mean, I guess, I mean, it makes complete sense. Like communication back then was brutal. If you were killed in a trench or in the middle of no man's land, Mm-hmm. You know, the chances of that information getting back accurately, uh, you know, if you were made a POW and people assumed you died or if people just went AWOL and they assumed they died and it turns out that they were hiding somewhere like this shit, it, it was real. It happened. Uh, so, yeah. So she was not I mean, by our current standards, yes, she would have been a bigamist. But because it was during the war, there was kind of like shit's different right now. And so that's what happened. Yeah. It was the casual, laissez-faire attitude that just fucking cracked me up. Like, you just walked in on your husband and his ex-wife declaring their undying love to you, and you're like, okay, I guess I gotta go now. You're like, what the fuck? No, you wouldn't just accept that. Especially back then, as a woman, you'd be out on the street without your husband. Oh, my God. And then she's just like, oh, this is convenient. My ex-husband's still alive. 
Oh, I fucking laughed. I laughed so hard. I'm like, this is it. This is the blueprint for Young and the Restless, the Bold and the Beautiful, like all of that cuckoo banana shit that happens on soap operas. Yeah. Kathleen Norris planted those seeds back in 1945 with mink coat. And the other thing that cracks me up, again, you folks listening to this right now, go on our socials. The covers are fantastic. And this is a perfect Mm -hmm. transition to Renee because her cover is spectacular. Um, but mind, you got to see the cover. But the back, literally in bold, it just says, why did you divorce him? <laughs> literally. That's it. You're like, I knew it. I knew it. this was going to be some like horrible, sexist, why did you leave your man? He was good to you kind of shit. Yeah. So that's um, Mink Coat by Kathleen Norris. When I Googled it, oh you can God. find it um, on eBay. It's a collector's one because I guess she was such a big deal. Um, yeah. So tell me, Renee. What did you read? Yeah, before I do, I just, you know, I'm doing like a ton of research right now on Barbara Cartland, mm-hmm. who is a very famous uh, romance author. And this reminds me of her and her same opinions. And I think that's so interesting that it's like, at what point did romance authors just change their minds? Like, yes. When did that happen? I you don't know? know. I don't know. But it's a great question. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? We will be back in a few months with all my um Oh yeah, stay hard tuned Barbara folks. Cartland research. Yeah. Stay <laughs> tuned, folks. We're gonna have a new um not segment, I guess, but we're gonna have a new little project that we're starting in mm. the next few weeks that you're gonna wanna hold on to your butts because it's gonna be a riot and a half and it's gonna start with old Babs over there. But tell us yeah. about the titty that you read <laughs> this week, because the only thing I know about your book is the cover yeah. and I'm dying dying <laughs> so i read a book called the mark of the moon by francis francis gerard sometimes Ooh. he has an accent sometimes he doesn't could not find much about him at all um except that he wrote a, a long series about um like a detective and that's kind of where this book goes now i mentioned to you before the show there's nothing but titties on on the cover, on the front and the back cover. It's just like titties, 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 titties. And these gross little like cult men like leering, like straight up leering. And I will post a close up of the leerers because it's like, God They damn. need to be shamed. They need to be shamed. One of them's just smoking like he's not in a cave. Like, <laughs> come on. But I digress. So, um, covered in titties. There, there, there's like nudity. Like hips and all? Um, no no like it suggested like they're not like they're topless um and like wearing skirts um but because this was written in 1952 um there's just like taste like really strategic kind of like little flowers kind of oh she's wearing a floral necklace or something but like them titties is out (laughs) the titties is out um so my bar my book was 25 cents um, and it says here, anything goes in the Riviera underworld and was set in France. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Um, my book was really boring. Um, oh, and no. the only, the only mention of any sort of intercourse, um, is at the beginning when the main character talks about like this one time he had sex with his wife, uh, before like out of wedlock and, uh, his like something like you know his 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 love was inside of her or like his manhood something like that anyway my book is about a character named ray 
And Ray is a veteran. He was in World War II. He was, he's an ex-Marine, but was like special ops or something. Um, during the war, he had to hide in a French town. Um, and it was there that he met this priest named like Père Gaston or something. And he, <laughs> he hid him while the Gestapo was looking for him. And he also met Jeanne. Jeanne went on to become his wife, but Jeanne helped him escape um, by connecting with her lover, whose name is like Stanislaus. Ooh. And it's like a pseudonym, but Stanislaus helped get Ray out of France. And then <clears throat> after the war, uh, Ray went back to marry Jeanne. Like that, they had one sexual interaction and then he came back from America to marry her. Um, so Jeanne has, has left Ray. Jeanne has taken their baby boy, Mark, and has fled. <clears throat> I don't, I mean, I, I find out the circumstances, but at the beginning, it's sort of like, bro, just let her go, just let her go. And we find out that he's not willing to let her go because, um, you know, it's okay if she wants to leave him, but Mark is an American and that's his birthright. So he's, he's trying to recover his son, his son who like doesn't like him, we find out later anyway. So <clears throat> he goes to France. He goes there um, undercover. His, he's very wealthy, so he can kind of just do whatever the fuck he wants. His father was um, like a diplomat or something, or, or you know, an envoy, something, something between America and France. So he's you know well respected. And um, Ray Hartley goes to France. He get he buys like a shitty car. He's kind of incognito. He's not dressed in his nice like rich guy clothes. Um, they mention. I kept a tally mark of this because he mentioned berets like multiple times and his espadre. <laughs> and like they're constantly referring back to his espadre because he's like, they couldn't hear me because of my espadre. Like the whole book, the whole fucking book. He's like, check out my runners. Like, <laughs> anyway. Um, so he pulls over to have a cigarette. He smokes like the whole entire book. I don't know how he has the stamina that he does. Um, and this black car kind of like scoots by him and then launches a huge fucking knife at him, but it shatters the car window instead. And he's like, what the fuck? And then the car drives away and he's like, that's fucky. And this guy in a motorcycle pulls up and he's like, oh, that was weird. And he's like, it was weird. But the, the Ray describes people two ways in this book. They're either so beautiful that he hates them or they're grotesque mm. and that's how they he describes every single character so this character that pulls up has a humongous nose um and so he calls him grotesque but he's just like oh that was weird buddy and uh so he heads back and he hands up in the town and he goes and he meets the the priest and he's like do you remember me and he's like oh he's like you know i remember you as pierrot uh, <laughs> He's like, that, that was my nom de guerre. And it's like, oh, okay. So he called himself Pierrot. So people know him as Pierrot um, because of Eau Claire de la Lune. Yeah. Eau Pierrot. Claire de la Lune. Yep. I'm here for it. You want to do that again and I'll give you a beat? <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I couldn't hold a tune if it came with a handle. Like, I know my limits. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> give me a beat. Um, so he meets this priest. The priest kind of like... Oh, yeah. No, you're looking for your wife. I haven't seen her. Um, you know, can you describe her? Does she like what does she look like? Does she have any like marks or anything? He's like, well, yeah, this is what she looks like. She's really beautiful. She has a crescent shaped birthmark under her left titty. And he's like, under her left titty, you say? That's so weird because we just found 
two dead girls and they had crescent shaped burns under their left titties. And he's like, that can't be a coincidence. <clears throat> and it's not Julie because there's a fucking cult in town. So, <laughs> so um, sorry, my, my throat's all messed up. Sorry, y'all. Um, so there's a bunch of characters in this. I'm just going to skim through it because it was fucking boring. So there's um, the slutty woman um, and the slutty guy. They live in a villa. They found a cave. Um, and because he's a hobbyist archaeologist, he's like, hey, can I go see this cave? And they're like, well, think about it. And there's this other guy that owns a castle. It's called Lightning Castle. Um, and he's like, oh yeah, you should, you should go see the cave. He doesn't go visit the cave until later. Um, and then in the meantime, he's, you know, he ends up just trying to figure out the mystery of where his wife is and his son. And then there's this, um, police inspector who looks like Satan. Um, and he like gaslights him in a big way to be like, oh, I don't think your wife was here. That's really strange. And, um, there's that piece. Meanwhile, he's asking around for the Stanislaus guy and nobody knows where he is. But then he discovers that the black car that like tried to kill him actually belongs to the Spaniard secretary of the chief of police. And you're like, okay, so like the policeman's a bad guy. Um, Which like a cab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, was not surprised. Um, then there's this creepy old lady called Mère Crone, like Mare, like Mother Crone or something. Okay. And she just dresses in like old Victorian clothes. Um, and she's crazy. And uh, they're all like, don't listen to her. She's nuts. And then one day she's like, I have a letter from your wife. And so he <laughs> goes and he meets her and gives her like all this cash. And he reads this letter and the wife is like, there is a great evil and we must stop it. You have to get Mark out of here. And then, yes, I left you for Stanislaus and I couldn't stay away, but you need to take our son and go. And he's like, all right, I, okay. So she's like, you must meet me here at this time, you know, come alone. So he goes and like, what do you know? She did. Um, and somebody has stabbed the same big knife that they threw at him through the birthmark under her left titty. And he's like, no. Um, but then he feels a gun on his back. And then there's somebody in the shadows talking to him. And this person like turns out is Stanislaus. And he's like, did you really think that you could keep her away from me? He, basically, it turns out he was a shitty dom. He is a uh... shitty dom. Yeah. And he's like, she thought of me as her lover, but I was her master. <laughs> so she basically just ran back to him because like, she, she's daddy issues like she she's mentally ill like she's i don't know what they decide they don't explain it but then it turns out that stanislaus is actually the chief of police the guy that looks like the devil um and then he tells him something like he tells him this big story but they don't tell you what the story is in the book so he's like he's like and now i will tell you the truth of our entanglement and then it just cuts and he's like Ray couldn't believe his ears. And you're like, but what did he say? What did he say? And you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> then after that, it turns into a Scooby-Doo episode where Ray is like the mystery gang and he's being chased by ghouls. And then he's chasing the ghouls and it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He gets shot at one point. Um, and then he wakes up in a cave. He's what? up. He's in a cave and he's like, oh, that's weird. Um, but at this point, he's gone full, like, full, like, John Wick, like, 
Like he's, he's cashing in every single piece of his like Marine training. And, you know, he's, he's realizing that like, you know, his wife is dead, but he keeps referring to her as the woman who born his son. Like she's no longer a human being. She's just like a vessel. And he's like not even hurting about it until he's thinking back to this like really foxy slutty woman um, at that villa that he met. And he's mad at how hot she is. And he's like, he's like, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't even be with her if I wanted to because I'm married, but I'm not, I'm a widow. And then he gets sad because he's a widow or a widower. I was like, what? So the rest of the book at this point, I didn't even finish reading Julie because he's just in the caves looking around. And it turns out that it's the night of the full moon. So there's going to be a ceremony down there because there's like this like bull God and um, they're going to sacrifice babies to it. So like he finds his, his baby and they're going to literally sacrifice. They're going to sacrifice babies. So this went from being like he's looking for his dead wife to like full on child sacrifice. They don't gain anything like the, this isn't a situation where like they they throw babies into a fire and they get something like a power or like a crystal or something like that's not what they're just doing it because they're like we love bull god like that's it there's like some naked dancing which i guess is what they're referring to on on the cover um but then it turns out that like the woman that he met at the villa that he's so angry at how hot she is is like they've made her up to be like the goddess prostitute for the night and um he like met her brother or her her lover out in the hall and he like cracked his head open and then they're about to throw the baby in the fire and then the woman is like no give me that child and then it turns into like this big huge fight and then the fucking dude on the motorcycle shows up and he's like i was a police officer all along and he like (laughs) saves the day and it turns out that like the slutty lady and the guy she was living with he was also a cop and she's the sister and also an actress but she's not even 20 years old yet so i'm just like ew um and she was just playing a part so that they could like foil this plan but nobody thought to tell him anything and then the last like two chapters is them just explaining the entire book to each other like oh i thought this well i thought this like and then yeah and then the last it turns out like his baby doesn't even like him like he this baby never spent time with him because he was like out taking like academic um positions around the country so his wife didn't want to go with him so son doesn't even know who he is and then the woman who's like not even 20 they make that very clear that she's hot as hell but not even 20 she's like so taken with this baby um that she decides that she and her brother are going to go to america with ray and like literally i don't even know how to describe this book because it's just a man on a mission (laughs) it's it's just a man on a mission but like i said there is a part where like his wife dies and it's like like kill bill and he just becomes john wick if john wick was in the mystery gang on (laughs) scooby-doo Like he's just running back and forth and all I imagine is like, like that's it's, it was dumb. And I'm angry that I read this book because one it's from 1952 makes it 69 years old. So I was like, yeah, all right. Um, And I was really excited um, to learn about these shitty dudes looking at titties, but the pages fell out. Like the pages kept falling out. So I had to hold the book in a way that I pinched a nerve in my wrist I had to keep doing these like chiropractic exercises on my fucking wrist to keep reading this book. 
the writing was teeny tiny because I forgot that old books have teeny tiny writing and I'm an old woman. I can't read it. And I didn't have a magnifying class. So it took me a long time to read this like less than 200 page book. And it just, it was, it was garbage, but I have so many books, Julie, you know, I have mm-hmm. buckets and buckets and buckets of old books and old novels. I literally have one about a guy who owns a sex club who's deciding to leave the sex club, but he also has a bunch of like weird robotics and buttons and shit in his house, in his sex club. And it's like a mystery. And I was like, I'm not going to read this one. <laughs> Why? Why? Because I wanted a pulp cover. So anyway, zero out of zero, zero, zeros, zeros. There's zero. It was a zero book. But, you know, it was it was well written, except for the one part, which I thought was really adorable, where he finds his dead wife. Right. And obviously her shirt's like blown open and her little titties are hanging out um, because they had to stab the the mark under her titty so you can find it. Um, And so it talks about how he's like putting her her breasts away like covering up her breasts, but he calls them her beasts because like Ooh. it was, there was a typo in my book from 1952. It was a little typo and it said beasts instead oh. of breasts. And I was like, ah, like the way I laughed and I thought it was really funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the police officer who we find out at the end is a police officer and he um, is really disgusting. Um, he has a humongous nose and he called, he says, he's like, my nose is like Cyrano de Bergerac. And I was like, huh? he said what I was thinking. But then he's, but then he says he follows his nose. And I was like, is he like fucking Samuel Toucan? Like what, what is he? The Fruit oh. Loops bird? Like, no, yeah. he's the villain, right? No, he was, he was the, the undercover cop. Oh, because I was like, man, there is a lot of coding, like anti-Semitic coding in books from oh. that period. And so when you said that, yeah. I was like, <gasps> no, no, okay. no, he, he's like the good guy, but he, he's, he's there as a photographer for the department of tourism. Um, so he's actually going around collecting Intel while he's taking it. Like the, the book, the, the characters were well-developed. Like I will give it that, but this is a show about erotica and romance. Yeah. And so I have nothing to share <laughs> about this book. I did like, though, that when he meets the super um, sexy teenager um, who he's like so angry at how hot she is, um, she's wearing like a turquoise bikini. And I thought that was really, really um, progressive for the early 1950s. But <laughs> yeah, they describe her as basically just being naked. Um, but I'm like, no, she literally has clothes on. That's just a bikini. Um, I also think she kisses her brother. Ooh, god damn it <laughs> yeah anyway i would not recommend mark of the moon unless you you know are into like old pulp novels if you like mysteries and you like detective stories and you like um things set in the riviera underworld this is the <laughs> like, book for you yeah get yourself signed up but as far as what we look for here on ravage love this was a dud this yeah, was a I mean, there was zero, I would say there's definitely romance in mine, but the reason mm-hmm. why I didn't even bother to put it on the scale of one to five for the spice is because there was not, like, when I say there was no sex, I mean, there was not even insinuation of sex in any way. It was very clearly chaste romance. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it fit the romance category for sure. So I definitely lucked out in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't even find, like, I'm just going to read it like a couple pages of just the funny dialogue of like how this woman is constantly having to 
just beat herself up like how Kathleen Norris is just really driving home Uh how much of a piece of shit she is for choosing to want a life that doesn't involve being a like a mom and a wife Mm -hmm. um so it's not like particularly spicy or anything but I figured it would be just a kind of insight into the writing which wasn't terrible but um yeah like you it was like this it could have been a short story like nothing really happens it's so boring um and in my case it's just like 300 pages of wallowing so um do you want me to read you a little snippet yeah i guess let's (laughs) let's do it uh do you have something to read did you pick something i did i did it's just from the shitty dom that's what i got are you gonna do an accent oh julie of course i'm doing it okay then start then start because i'm not even more like i don't even know if i'm gonna read my like page it's like so weak sauce and they're american so i can't even do a funny accent so hit me up with an accent hit me okay okay here we go once more the man stanislaus was speaking and ray forced himself to listen and you thought you could take jeanne away from me i know it's quebec way i know sorry my pure my poor pierrot you thought she would be content with what you could give her, you and your Yankee, Yankee dollars? But she had she had tasted strong meat. Tell me frankly, did she ever tell you what she had been before you met her? Wow, she was honest with me, said Ray, his voice quiet and even. To what extent that she had been my mistress? Why, she was honest with me, repeated Ray. The other laughed purringly. And you were content to take my leavings, you an upright American? That amuses me. Yes, she was my mistress, but I, I was not her lover. I was her master. She would do anything for me, anything to give me pleasure. <laughs> Ray clenched his teeth, his teeth tight. <laughs> his teeth, teeth, his teeth tight. <laughs> the truth or no, he would not let the, the fellow goad him into speech or protest. Sometime, sometime in the future, he would get his hands on Stanislaus. Uh, and then he would make an end of this foulness. But yes, Pierrot, there was nothing she would not do for me. I de- debo- debauched her, you know, more easily than any of the others. Uh, there had been many Pierrot, but yes, many have worn my mark on them. Then it was a burn, commented Ray. But of course, I did it myself with a tiny branding iron. But she <laughs> didn't flinch, you know, when I pressed it on her. She enjoyed it because it was I who was doing it. Oh yes, she was a, she was diverse in what she did to please me. <laughs> Even to giving herself to others when I so wished it. Did you not know that? But dozens, my friend. The mother of your son, Pierrot, was steeped in infamy. And across the years and across the miles, that invisible chain which I had put upon your wife drew her back to me. Not all that you could give her, not all that wealth and security, protection and background, all the things she'd never had or never would have with me were enough for you to hold her. She came back, Pierrot, like a dog to its vomit, then came back cringing like a dog to her master. (sighs) Ray shook the sweat out of his eyes, but he said nothing. Words were of no use to him. The exultant hatred in the other's voice was matched by a deeply implacable implacable purpose in him. She could not have stayed away. She had to come back. She had to come back to that of which I am a priest, and through my priesthood she had to worship, and in that very worship, worship me. And then later, um, and then later he's like, 
Ray's like, oh, well, like, were you just really mad that I was able to get her away from you? And uh, he's like, he gets mad, like the bad guy gets mad. And it turns out that like he files his nails into points, which like I could go on a whole other podcast about dudes who do that. And he just starts scratching his face. He's like, eh, like scratching Ray's face. And then, and then Ray's fucking like, did you learn that from your girlfriends? And I was like, oh my God. Anyway. Oh my God. This reads like your book was written when? In the 50s? 52, yeah. Yeah. So your book reads like if Tumblr Doms, like it's the the nineteen fifty two version of Tumblr Doms who are like Yeah, who don't believe in negotiation or consent or any of those things, who just are like, Oh are like you know the ones who are like, I'm so goth and you're like Oh, oh yeah, God. and they file their fucking nails yes. into points. Like yes. I know them. I know them. I know one who's now a city counselor. But I digress. <laughs> um yeah. This book, this book was awful, but that was the and then it, then it's revealed that it's like it was the police inspector all the time that he was like the bad guy. But and I was like, yeah. oh damn, I actually didn't see that coming. <laughs> and it's it surprised me. I was like, oh my my my. But uh, well, yeah, shitty dom. That was my book. Like should have been called Mark of the Shitty Dom. <laughs> I I'm not gonna read you anything, but I am going to because it's just so boring. Like it's yeah. there's nothing. But I am gonna ask you: Have I ever told you the story of when I went to see the Lost Fingers at the Franco Ontarian Festival and they covered oh, no. ACDC? Oh my god, I love the Lost Fingers. Please tell me, tell me. Tell okay, me. so this is all I'm gonna tell people. This is my gonna be my story instead of reading from <laughs> my book because it's just so boring. And if you've ever I already, seen- I remember the story now that. <laughs> Okay. about it tell everybody it's so good okay because i might have already said it on the pod so no, if I you did, haven't okay because i'm like am i that loser that repeats stories no. but as soon as you pulled out your accent it just made me think now to be clear people listening before uh i went to university okay this is how i talk like legit this is how i talked i'm from northern ontario my french first language is french okay so like these are my people okay so there's a band which if you are not familiar with this band listeners mm. get on it they're called the lost fingers they're from quebec i think they're specifically from montreal maybe quebec city and they're three dudes and they're just like one of them plays a stand-up bass i'm trying to remember what they play but it's all like, i don't even know how to describe their music but it's so good and they have an entire album most of their work actually is covers and they do like they're just so funky you have to look them up so i went yeah. to, i had the joy truly the pleasure of seeing them live and with the exception of the story i'm about to tell you it was perfection like i could listen to them all day they're so fucking talented but now it's also important it was at the franco-ontarian mm-hmm. festival i am franco-ontarian and i went with two francophiles who are anglophones okay so they are like not amongst their own people but they're trying to appreciate the culture and they start doing the baseline of so people start getting pumped because they're like oh fuck yes right and to be clear sadly what i'm gonna tell you sadly the song is not on one of their albums because i would listen to this shit 500 times a day because it kills me but they earnestly were singing Thunder! And like the whole song, and then they were like thunderstruck, thunderstruck, yeah, 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 thunderstruck. 
Okay, one of my friends had to get up and leave because he's like, <laughs> I'm laughing so hard that some fucking Quebecois person is going to clock me in the face. Like, he was so worried of getting oh into a God. scrap because he was just howling. <laughs> I also remember one of my other friends I found out that night is deeply afraid of mascots. And I only found that out because in true Quebecois culture, there were inexplicably people in these like elaborate costumes walking around the festival. And a bunch of them look like birds from like a Tim Burton movie. And they would just like come up into the crowd and like look deep into your, they were actually like extras from Cirque du Soleil. And my friend was just like, nope, and got up and left. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like, I thought maybe she was triggered. I thought maybe she saw, like, some abusive person. She's like, I can't. I can't look at that bird. So I had one friend <laughs> leaving because he was like, the music is so funny. It's so funny. And I'm being so offensive. And the other one was just like, get this fucking bird away from me. And so I'm just standing alone in a field being like, thunder. Anytime I hear a tick, tick French accent, I fucking think of the Lost Fingers <laughs> and their horrific butchering or bettering, frankly, of ACDC's Thunderstruck. And that is what I'm going, that is a story I'm going to leave folks with today instead of reading from the neo-Nazi, possibly, but definitely eugenicist, definitely classist, Kathleen Norris's mink coat. Um Wow. You know, if you're a regular listener on the show, you know that Pulp Fiction, every week when we do it, it's it's a roll shot in the dark. It could go one of many, many ways. Um, but we went there this week. And this is definitely the oldest book I've read for the podcast. Like, 1945. Mm. That shit's fucking old as shit. Yeah. Old yeah, as shit. The oldest I've read, too. So... Uh, next week, we're kicking it contemporary. We're hitting <laughs> oh. the skies. Oh my gosh, Pepper is not a fan of us. She hates traveling. flying. She hates flying. Yeah, sorry. Well, she just heard. She heard. Noted. She's like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Next week <sighs> we're reading about pilots, and I'm very excited because I haven't chosen my book yet, and I feel like there's so many angles we could choose. We could choose. It could be like a pilot fucking a flight attendant. It could be like the Mile High Club. There's like so many possible angles we could choose from. But the reason why we chose this is because we are being told that soon the world is going to reopen again in Canada. People mm -hmm. are getting vaccinated. Things are on the move. We could actually be back in the skies before we know it. So next week, join us. We're going to be reading about pilots. I haven't chosen my book yet, so I couldn't tell you where I'm going. But I'm excited for the journey. I am also ready to take to the skies with you, Julie Lalonde. Perfect. Well, it was really nice chatting hate, with you. I hate flying stuff. So. I know you do. That's why I was like, I'll just, I'll just segue away to you not being like, actually, this is my nightmare. Um, because we're not rich enough to fly first class if we did. Because you're not afraid of planes. You just hate the fact that they squish you like a sardine can and treat you like cattle and not a person. Yeah. I've and then never... it costs $8,000 in Canada to fly. Oh, my God. I, I, I've been on planes before, but my last flight home, I've never been in the planes where they, they're doing like the three seats. Oh, you'd never been on a three-seater. Oh, it's no, the worst. It was so awful. It was so awful. And um, I'm not flying to Ontario again unless I can, like, upgrade because it's never going to happen again that I fly oh. like that. I am too I'm too thick a woman to sit in between two strangers like that. Like, Yeah, just, and also just, like, no one should have to hug their goddamn kneecaps while they're paying, like, $900 to fly home because their mom is sick. Like, it's just the levels of insult... 
are out of control yeah. and it just yeah it's awful so we're gonna pretend that we are bougie and that we enjoy taking to the skies uh i am someone who prior to the pandemic used to fly at mm. least once a week so i have many tales that um i can share in and i will really fact check the accuracy of these <laughs> fucking books because yeah they make it seem like flying is glamorous but they don't make it clear that they're flying first class it's a bucket of fucking lies okay a bucket of lies yeah well you know what here's to seeing you in first class next week chin chin darling do you want to sing us out absolutely <clears throat> ravage love ravage love bye bye Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.